It is a tremendous privilege and honor to be with uh, brothers this morning. And, uh, you know, just uh, I know sometimes we hear things and we think they might be a little, uh, a little outlandish. So, Matt, if, um, if, if we get that, uh, does a, we, we got it? Okay, work, cool, cool, cool. The, I just want to show you a picture of the uh, field on the roof. It's, uh, it's something pretty cool. Our kids love it. Yep, there we go. There we go. That's, that's us on a, probably be tonight, uh, Friday night. Um, and as you can tell, though, a lot of people, they question its safety. You can tell there's fences all the way around. No one falls off in the middle of a game or catching a touchdown pass. But um, interesting enough, our kickers love to try to kick it over the fence. Um, <laughs> try to hit a car below. Usually someone runs up quite angrily, and we remind them they should have had car insurance, things like that. But it's, uh, like I said, it's all good fun. And, you know, the kids love it. But, you know, one of the things growing up here, I was born, I was raised in Union City. My dad uh, immigrated from Cuba, um, from Havana. You know, it, it really, taught, really taught what it meant to serve. You know, I grew up and, you know, my dad, he, was, he, he did the professional thing for a little bit too. Um, not basketball, his thing was football. He had a lot of anger when he came from Cuba at Fidel Castro, his father being put in political prison for 12 years. And so he actually channeled that into the sport of football, took his anger out there. He uh, played for St. Peter's College uh, when they still had a football team. And from there, then got an opportunity to get him to play with the, uh, the Oakland Raiders. Oh, awesome. Awesome, thanks so much. Um, and one of the things that always stuck with me was the fact when he finished playing, he came back and became an ESL teacher, English as a second language, because we have very high immigrant population. And I remember going with him on usually Saturday mornings to ShopRite. And more people would come up to him thanking him for teaching their son English than ever playing a down of football. And it, I was small. I was like seven years old. And I, I remember I'd see that and it would leave an impression on me. You know, what does impact truly look like? And I have nothing against, you know, professional sports or anything like that. I'm, like I said, I'm privileged to get to be with the team and, you know, we'll be taking on the Titans this, this Sunday. And, but I always like to put in juxtaposition when I do work with coaches and players, what does it mean to have impact? You know, we live in a world where we talk about this word influence, right? You talk to many of the students that I work with at the high school level, they'll talk about that this new profession they want to have is something called an influencer, right? You can be a professional influencer. You get this little blue check next to your name on social media and it therefore gives you the ability to, you know, sell product, influence. And I always argue with them, impact can always, I feel, is always greater than just influence. But what does true impact look like? What does it mean to truly make an impact? And so, if, if you would, for the next few minutes we'll spend together, I want to I read from the book of John, John chapter 4. And it, it's, it's a passage we've all heard before. It's Jesus at the well with the Samaritan woman. And I'm sure you've heard many different variations preached on it or spoke on it. But I feel in these next couple of verses, we see what true impact really is. See, in, in John chapter 4 here, we get a picture of what it means to truly leave an impression that will impact generations. We don't need to go into the background, and it'll take us all day if we were to go into the history, but we basically know the Samaritans are not looked highly upon at that point in time. You know, they weren't, they weren't seen as the stellar, the stellar group of people. In fact, so much so people didn't even want to walk through their land. 
they would go the other way around, even if it took miles and much out of their way. And so I love it because in verse, in chapter four, it says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized his disciples. It was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Joseph, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well and it was about noon. Now really quickly in verse four right there, it says, now he needed to go. Most people would avoid going through Samaria, but it said he needed to. See, one of the first things about impact, I feel, is a sense of urgency. And if you will, I think in our society, in our culture, I see us battled from urgency to hurry. We, we confuse the two way too often. We think being busy or being hurried is being urgent when the two are very different. See, hurry, we make mistakes, we speedily try to get through something, we get addicted to the speed. And it's intoxicating. The speed of the business, the speed of the game. But urgency is filled with purpose, it's filled with it's filled with this idea that I'm put here for a reason and I'm not gonna miss it. It's being fully present. One of the things George taught me when I became chaplain of the Giants was to be fully present. And I would be lying to you if I said these past six years with the team have been easy, they haven't. But one of the things he, he showed me, he's like sometimes, I remember, what do, you, what do you call it George? The ministry of presence, right? Sometimes you just, whether you're sitting at the table in the team cafeteria or you're in the coach's box during halftime, you find a way to represent Jesus in those moments. You don't worry about the next one. You find whether it's getting a Diet Coke for an assistant coach who never comes to chapel or if it's just helping wipe down a table with one of the chefs. Or yeah, if it is getting to give the gospel message to our starting defensive linemen. He's there in all of that. And so many times we can rush, rush past it thinking, well, that's not really impactful and really the impact is being fully present where God has put us. See, Jesus didn't miss that. We looked all throughout the gospels and we found that he was fully there. So many times, individuals would come up to him asking for healing and he would say, oh, I'll go to your house. We, we have the example of the centurion. He's like, I'm not even worthy of you coming to my house. But he was fully there. He wasn't concerned with, well, I'm kind of gonna, I'm gonna die in about 11 months, so let me see what I can do for me. It was, I'm fully there for you. One of the things that slowed me down a bit as it did everybody, was of course what happened in the past two years. And as, um, as George said, me and my, my wife, we, we had it on our heart to make an impact in our community. And so we, uh, you know, it started in my classroom. We were just, uh, you know, I was teaching ninth grade world history and would move all the chairs out because I found that there was no place for students to go in North Hudson County. I'm not sure if you know that, we don't really have a boys and girls club, YMCA, you name it. So when 400 students try out for say the basketball team, as it's the most popular sport in our area, 
you, you can only take 30 kids on a team, so you have 370 kids that want to be part of a team. So they try to join one, they try to make a game. You know, family is what they really want. And it was easy to sit in the teacher's lounge, you know, blame our local politicians, our local mayors, saying, man, if we just had better ones, our students wouldn't end up in juvenile detention at night. But I love the way Erwin McManus puts it when he said that the arrogant look for someone to blame, but the humble look for something to solve. Christ's path is a path of humility. It's choosing to be humble as he was humble. We see in, in, in John, before, before he, he goes to the cross, one of the last chapters, it says, when he realizes he has been given all power and all authority, and you guys have probably read it before, what's the first thing he does? He washes feet. I don't know about you, but if I realized I was given all power and all authority, <laughs> last thing I would do was serve breakfast. I'd want to use it, right? Wash his feet. Humility. And so that's what got us on this path of deciding we wanted to um, want to try to impact our community. And if you could, oh, I got it. <laughs> Sorry about that. And so we started renting this empty building. It was abandoned. Um, it, it used to be the old Hudson County Community College building. And I remember um, the first day we opened, we only got five kids to come to the door the whole night. And I'd be lying to you if I said we, I wasn't discouraged. You know, you rent a building of that size, it's about 5,000 square feet in Hudson County for five kids, you better know what you're doing. <laughs> and I remember people questioned it. And they say, John Paul, you really think it's worth it to rent a building that size just for five kids? And the honest question was, I don't know. Fleshly, humanly speaking, I don't know. But I remember saying, you know, if those five kids come back the next night and we get one more, we get six. As you can tell, we have a basketball hoop and we can play three-on-three -three basketball. You know, I just got to focus on the small victories. You know, God can use three-on-three -three basketball. You guys know that street to street. Like, you understand. And, the crazy thing is by God's grace, and only by his grace. And now we have about 2,268 kids that come. And it's, um, it's, it's only by God's grace. It's only by his grace. And that's how it started seven years ago. And uh, that's how we look now, you know. And it's, it's just by what God, it's, it's him. It's so him. And see, one of the greatest things about this is um. It's students who were in that original history class seven years ago. It's players that I coached at Hawthorne Christian Academy as an assistant coach. There are program directors now. There are tutors now. And I take to heart what John Maxwell said when he said, if you think you're a leader and you turn around and no one's following, you're just out for a walk. <laughs> it's a bit harsh. <laughs> it's a bit harsh. But it's true. So many... I tell the players on the team all the time when they receive their captaincy, you know, yeah, it's nice to have a C on your chest and you get to shake hands with the other team and all these social media posts, captain of the New York Giants. It's great. Be proud of it. But realize what leadership is. Leadership is service. Leadership is sacrifice. And like I said, we give, make it a whole weight room. We, we even got like this app where the kids go on, download the app. It's all free. No one has to pay a dime. They just can come and eat after school from 3 o'clock to 8 o'clock every single day. Just have a place to go. You know, and 
it, it was interesting because during one of the things I was annoyed about, you know, because you got to be cost saving, is um, we never got labeled as an after school center. That would always annoy me. We always got labeled as a gym, which means if you know, you got to pay more for insurance, a lot more. And I never understood why our insurance company didn't understand, hey, we're here for kids. We're not, we're not like a gym for people to sign up memberships. We're not making any money here. It's, it's for kids. It's free. But when everything happened in 2020, and come the fall of 2020, as you guys know, schools didn't open. But Governor Murphy said gyms could on September 29th. Isn't it amazing how God works? So when all the schools stay closed, especially in Hudson County, for pretty much the rest of the year. They didn't open until Memorial Day weekend of May 2021. We could be open. Now we couldn't have everybody in there at one time naturally, but we could have two kids in at a time per hour. It seems to some people like a waste, right? Two kids in that big space for one hour. But you know, I, I remember praying about it and saying, you know what, I think Jesus would open it for one hour for those two kids even if we only can get through eight kids a day. Let's start a wait list. Let's have them sign up and let's, um, let's have them be a part of it. And so on our shirts, we put one over 99 because as you know in the Bible, it says he left the 99 to find the, to find the one, right? And so we just started working out with kids one-on-one. On, one on one. This is one of our students. I, I loved working out with him on Tuesdays. His name is, his name is Eric. And, uh, he would walk two miles to get there. And not that it matters, but he's a student with special needs. Because I feel when God calls you to make an impact, you don't pick and choose who you impact, right? I remember speaking for a fire chief's convention in Arizona, and I loved their motto. They said, when you get in this, when you get in this service for your community as a firefighter, you don't pick and choose your calls. You answer all of them. I feel that's what God has called us to do. We don't pick and choose our calls. We answer wherever he calls us, whatever time that is, whatever age that is. There's no age limit on making an impact for our Lord and Savior through his power. And the best part is we just get to, you know, break it down why we're there in the first place. Speak truth of the gospel. Just share his truth. And it's awesome, the hunger for it. See, if we're talking about making an impact, this is something that has made an impact in my life and has kind of set me on a course that, uh, I'll be honest, kind of takes six months at a time. That might look familiar for some of you. It's a supposedly the world's most preserved meteorite crater. It's in northern Arizona, outside of Winslow. And I had an opportunity to do some work uh, with the Navajo Reservation out there. And as I was speaking to different school districts, they said, hey, you have a day free. Do you want to go come see this? And I said, sure. And honestly, I, I'm not, though I'm a, a history professor, I, I'll be honest, I'm not a big museum guy. And uh, I remember when I visited during college, the Grand Canyon, I wasn't too impressed. Like I said, I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm not the best at those sort of things. Uh, I remember my, uh, my mom asking me how it was, and I said, well, it's, it's a big hole in the ground. Um, 
like I said, I'm, I'm not the biggest nature guy kind of thing. Maybe it's from being in Union City too long. But it's interesting when, when you visit this meteorite site, like God spoke to me there. See, it, you go through this museum and you watch this video and, and then you step out on the, um, on like this, uh, this porch, if you will, and you get to see it for the first time. And it's, the picture doesn't do it justice because it's a mile wide and 500 feet deep. And I remember standing on the edge of it being like, wow. And I remember saying out loud audibly, that must have been some meteorite, right, to make a hole that big. And I remember the tour guide being next to me and he said, well, actually, the hole is a mile wide, but the meteorite itself was only 100 feet wide. And I said, well, that, that doesn't make a lot of sense. How could something 100 feet wide make a hole a mile wide? And I remember him saying, when something's moving that fast, it, it doesn't have to be big. He said that the meteorite was moving at over 26,000 miles an hour. That's as if we got a plane on a plane right now, we could be in L.A. in five minutes. It's not a bad commute. And it hit me because it's a sense of urgency that the Lord Jesus Christ had. It's choosing to be urgent when we see things in need, people in need. I think we live in this lie in our society that in order to make a difference, we need to have all the answers. We need to know the right things to say. When if we're really honest, I know as a man, the best man at my wedding when my grandfather passed away, he sat next to me. I remember at that wake and didn't say a word the whole entire night. But he was the first one to get there. We were 12, and I remember after the wake finished, we went out and got McChickens at McDonald's for a dollar. And then we played NBA Jam for the rest of the night on Super Nintendo. He was the best man at my wedding. He didn't say a word. He just chose to be present and there. One of the things I learned with working with the team is sometimes that's the greatest thing you can do. The player tears his ACL, unfortunately, his Achilles. And I remember I'd be frozen with fear thinking of all the things I need to say, making the perfect text, right? The perfect things to say to make him feel better, the perfect prayer, perfect Bible verse. When sometimes, as George taught me, the best thing you can do is be the first one. Say, hey, are you okay? Hey, do you need anything? Hey, I'm praying for you. Hey. First one to text them when they get out of surgery, find out where they're staying. Present, urgent, not in a hurry but urgent. I see the second thing about that, which Jesus shows us is Jesus was urgent because he knew he had a meeting with that woman. And in verse, verse nine, it says, when the Samaritan woman, for sorry, verse seven, came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food and verse nine, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans even more than that rabbis, teachers. They didn't talk to women in that culture of that day. In fact, there was even a, um, a group of rabbis known as the, the bruised and the battered simply because they would not even look at a woman. If they saw a woman coming, they would close their eyes when they walked past her and that often would result in bruises on their faces because they would run into walls give them credit for their, um, for protecting their eyes. I'll give it that much. But he talks to her. He says, no, I, I, haven't, I have a meeting and it's urgent. And I'm going to make sure I'm there. And he's exhausted. It said he's tired, but he made sure he was there. 
and he begins conversation with her. And as this conversation goes on, for sake of time, to paraphrase, they go back and forth. And she's quite, you know, she's quite the woman in that she, she's not afraid to reply back. You know, we all know, not afraid to give it back a little bit. Personally, I think she probably was Puerto Rican. Um, you know, she had a little bit of an attitude. She'd give it back and forth. And um, eventually, they, they keep on going back and forth. And she's like, oh, well, are we supposed to worship here or worship there? You Jews say this. You Jews don't like us. And they go back and forth, and we can get caught up in semantics and societal pressures and racial agendas all throughout this passage. But eventually, Jesus finally says, go bring your husband. He cuts through all that. See, it's interesting. I don't know about you, but I'll agonize over saying the right things for two hours for a five-minute conversation. And I'll agonize and have the conversation last two hours thinking I'm getting somewhere and then you leave the conversation and nothing changed. I'm not sure if you ever had that conversation with your spouse. But Jesus would spend two hours in prayer and have five-minute conversations and change somebody's life. Change the way I see prayer. He would spend two hours praying in the morning so that two-minute conversations he would have would get right to the heart. See, the thing about this really quickly is, as you might notice, on the edge, if you've ever been to the Arizona desert, it's all red, but on the edge is all white rock. And I remember going up to the tour guide and saying, well, what's up with all the white rocks on the edge of this crater? You know, was it because the meteorite burned them up? He's like, no, no, see, the, the thing is when something moves that fast, it'll go very deep. So deep, in fact, that it will go to the bedrock and everything on the bottom comes to the top. See, I feel when we choose to be urgent with the callings Christ has given us and the relationships he's positioned us with, we'll start to see everything on the bottom come to the top in people's lives. That's the ugly stuff. That's the unpretty stuff. The masks literally come off. And we have a, we have a choice. Do we still love anyway? Do we still care anyway? when we see the ugliness on the bottom. See, Jesus knew the ugliness on the bottom. That's why he said, get your husband. Because as you know in the verse, it, she replies, I have no husband. Defensive, right? Just like us. I don't know what you're talking about. Jesus cuts right to the point, gets deep, right? You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you're with right now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Deep. See, he knew all that. He knew all of that, but he still engaged her in conversation five minutes ago. She realized that. And once she realized that he was urgent and he was willing to go deep, what does she do? <laughs> she goes into the town. She goes into the town, leaving her water jar, and she said, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Verse 30, they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. His disciples, of course, are surprised he's talking to a woman and they're like, why are you talking to her? Blah, 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 this and that. And he's like, you don't understand my impact. Eventually the whole entire town comes out. Verse 39. Because Jesus says to his disciples, he says, my impact is to do the will of the Father who sent me. He said, 
You look and you say four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life. Verse 39, it said, Many Samaritans came from the town and believed in him because of the woman's testimony, because he said, He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. See the crazy thing about this? And we finish is I remember standing there and saying, all right, so the meteorite hit, it wasn't that big. It went deep, but there's gotta be, there's gotta be some pieces of it, like at least a big chunk. You know, where is it? Remember the tour guide telling me, he's like, ah, oh, that's a great question, that's a story. And he began to explain that there was, um, there was this individual, he's from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. His name was Daniel Barringer. He was a geologist. And when he heard about the meteorite site back in the late 1800s, he actually purchased all of the land around the site. And he thought, I'm going to get rich based off, you know, the meteorite that hit, the precious metals. Like I said, he's from Philadelphia, so he was an Eagles fan, so he probably wasn't that smart anyway. Um, <laughs> now, at least he wasn't a Cowboys fan, but anyway. Um, he, he purchases that whole site, and he will mine for the next 28 years of his life gets investors, first round of investment fails, doesn't find a thing, gets new investors. If you can see in the back, it seems a little bit sunken and he starts to mine diagonally, thinking, well, there's gotta be precious metal from the meteorite down that side, finds nothing. For 28 years, he will mine that site and he will die bankrupt. Don't feel bad for his family, they charge about $55 to get in. So they're, they're doing quite well, they're doing quite well. They're, they've recouped the profits, but, uh, he never finds the meteorite. And the most amazing thing is the tour guide, he took us on the edge of the, of the crater, and he said the thing Mr. Barringer didn't understand, and he took a magnet out of his pocket. He said the thing Mr. Barringer didn't understand was that when something hits that fast and, and goes that deep, it'll naturally spread wide and he took the magnet out of his pocket and he threw it just in the sand right outside the edge of the crater. And I'll never forget when he picked up the magnet. Hundreds of pieces of meteorite came up off the magnet. And he said, you can go and walk around this desert for about a five mile radius and you still throw a magnet in the sand to this day and you'll pick up a tiny piece of meteorite. That's the gospel. He came for us in urgency. He didn't want to deal with our outward, I'm good, right? He didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. He died for our sins. He was broken, right? We, sell it, we, we received communion and he said, this is my body broken for you. And in his brokenness, this gospel endures and 60 of us are getting together on a Friday morning to celebrate his goodness because he chose to be broken and something that we can pass on and make an impact to the next man, our families, 
kids or co-workers. I'm going to pray with you in a second, but I know for me sometimes I hear things and I forget them. Um, I'm not the best teacher sometimes, um, or student, I'll put it that way. And so if it's okay, uh, I don't just have one piece of meteorite. I was a... Uh, I brought a whole bunch for you guys. And so as we leave, I'd be honored if you uh, take a piece of meteorite with you on the way out. Put it someplace you'll see it. We'll remember the impact that Christ has made in our lives and the impact through urgency, through depth, and by being broken, he's calling us to make another's. And don't worry, uh, they're not radioactive, so you'll, you'll be okay, you'll be safe. <laughs> But if you do happen to turn into the Hulk, then God bless you, all right? Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Um, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you came to earth, not with hurry, not out of a sense of worry. Oh, man, Satan deceived them. I, I got to do something really quick. I, I didn't plan on this. You came to earth with urgency, purpose, power, passion, but not as a not as a dictator, Lord, as a, in humility as a babe, in humility as flesh, to show that everything we're going to endure, you, could, you went through. It says in Corinthians, there is no temptation uncommon to man, but you have provided a way out. You endured it. You show us that way. Thank you that you choose to go deep in our lives. You don't want to stay on the surface with niceties and religious platitudes. You want to go deep. Let's get to the heart of the matter. Let's get to truly loving me the way I love you. Let's get to knowing that you're saved, that you're redeemed, that there's nothing you could do that could make me love you anymore or love you any less. Thank you for that you go deep even when we want to stay in the shallow water because you love us that much. And thank you, Lord, for your brokenness, that you didn't just talk about it, you died for us. Your actions spoke louder than any words. Help us to be men that do the same, that are urgent, when you call us, go deep in our relationships. Don't stay at the surface of just who won on Sunday and, and how's the job going and how does the kids, but get deep in forums like this. And Lord, help us to stay broken, giving of ourselves, knowing that when we choose to go deep, your gospel will naturally spread wide. In your precious name, amen.